Greg Rubel of Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana. We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word and this message. We pray that God puts it into your heart. Take your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 8. I know that one of the um, most favorite things that we get to do in our lives is um, waiting. So that's what we're going to talk about today, waiting. You know, Google says that we spend approximately six months of our lives waiting. Six months, that's roughly three days a year. They said the average person spends 43 days of their life on hold. I don't know how they come up with that stuff, you know, uh, but but uh, got me to thinking about waiting. Here's ten things that Pastor Greg has trouble waiting on. Most lines of any kind, drive-through, bank, grocery store. I'm always having trouble waiting on those. Test results of any kind, medical. I don't take tests anymore, but kids' test results, those are you know hard to wait on. Traffic jams, I'm not very good in traffic jams. Um, most answers to prayer, hard for me to wait on. This one's really hard. This next one, a sermon outline. Yeah, it's really hard to wait on a sermon outline. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> it's really hard for me to wait for the coffee to get done. It's really hard for me to wait on Christmas. It's really hard for me to wait on Lori's birthday and any of the kids' birthdays. And it's really hard for me to wait for Sundays to come around so that we can all be together. One of my favorite times of the week. So all of those areas, they make me feel the edges of my patience, you know, as I'm waiting through those things. Well, I have an announcement to make. Google is wrong. For followers of Jesus... We are waiting every day for him to come back. And if he doesn't come back while we're alive, we will have waited our entire lives for him uh, to come back. So Daniel 8 is going to help us wait the God's strong way. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless this time. Father, uh, we just thank you for your word today, uh, this treasure that we have that encourages our hearts and challenges us and says this is the way walking in it, and well, we want to be good uh, soil for that this word today, Lord, and just pray that you'd plant it in us and do um, what you want to do in us, right? because we're here and we're listening, and we want to know. Um, and I, I do pray, Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So the first help, we can get to wait the God-strong way is to worship while you wait. So let's read verses 1 to 14, Daniel chapter 8. 
In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, Daniel, after that which appeared to me at at the first. And I saw in the vision, and when I saw, I was in Susa, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision, and I was at the Ulai Canal. I raised my eyes and saw, and behold, a ram standing on the banks of the canal. It had two horns, and both horns were high, but one was higher than the other. And the other higher, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram charging westward and northward and southward. No beast could stand before him, and there was no one who could rescue from his power. He did as he pleased and became great. As I was considering, behold, a male goat came from the west across the face of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a conspicuous horn between his eyes. He came to the ram with the two horns, which I had seen standing on the bank of the canal, and he ran in at him in his powerful wrath. I saw him come close to the ram, and he was enraged against him and struck the ram and broke his two horns. And the ram had no power to stand before him. But he cast him down to the ground and trampled on him. And there was no one who could rescue the ram from his power. Then the goat became exceedingly great. But when he was strong, the great horn was broken. And instead of it, there came up four conspicuous horns toward the four winds of heaven. Out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great toward the south, toward the east, and toward the glorious land. It grew great even to the host of heaven. And some of the host and some of the stars it threw down to the ground and trampled on them. It became great, even as great as the prince of of the hosts. And the regular burnt offering was taken away from him. And the place of his sanctuary was overthrown. And a host will be given over to it, uh, together with the regular burnt offering because of transgression. And it will throw truth to the ground. And it will act and prosper. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering, the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. So you might be thinking to yourself, here we go again. And you know what? You would be right. This is the third time Daniel gets the same vision, just has different details in it. So you might say that God has a three-point message for Daniel, which is what preachers like to to think. So verse 1 and verse 2, they give a time and a place for this vision. It's now the third year of Belshazzar's reign. And Daniel sees uh, this vision that placed him in, a re- in the region of Elam, in its capital city, which was Susa, at the Ulai Canal. And so from the get-go, when you get this vision, you go, this is different. We're getting some specifics in this. This is different. The, the last vision, Daniel chapter 7, it was in an unknown location. We saw this great sea that was stirring up horrible monsters. So this one's different. This one is placed about 200 miles southeast of Babylon. So Daniel could go and point to a map where Elam was. Um, He's about to get something specific about the future for him. So God goes back to uh, showing Daniel some animals, uh, this time a ram and a goat. 
The ram has a couple horns up high on its head. One's higher than the other, but it grew slower. Uh, the ram starts to uh, con- conquer the lands that surround it. Um, and then this goat shows up with, with a big horn right in the middle of its eyes and this conspicuous thing sticking out of its head. And so the goat grew in strength and power and it took over the ram. Um, and just when it was as powerful as it ever was, the big horn was broken off. And then four little horns come up out of that, and they grow. And then out of one of those, a little horn grows out of that. And uh, that one exceeded all the strength and power of everybody who'd come before it. Now, he was so great, the little horn, that he not only challenged and continued to conquer lands around it, he not only challenged the earthly kingdom, but he ended up trying to challenge the heavenly kingdom, the hosts of heaven. So he took down some of the stars of the, and the heavenly hosts, it says, uh, representing God's people there. He lifted himself up to be like God. He took away uh, the Jewish sacrificial system and he took over the temple of God. So the little horn became all-powerful and he did what he wanted. He was a master of deceit and so he's running wild. Now at the end of the vision, Daniel hears this heavenly conversation and the question is asked, how long is this desecration going to go on? And the answer came directly to Daniel, 2300 evenings and mornings until things are set right again. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, Before we get into who is who and what is what, how does this vision help us worship? Uh, We got a ram, we got a goat. How in the world does this help us worship? Well, what, what you can do is you look at these 14 verses and you look at what God is doing in these verses. Okay? And he's doing a lot. In fact, there's five things that God is doing in these verses as he's giving Daniel this vision. The first one is God is initiating. God is initiating. In verse 2, Daniel says he received a vision. He didn't say, you know, I asked God for for a vision about what was going to happen. And he answered my prayer and he gave me this vision. No, no, that's not what God makes the first move. God is initiating this vision to Daniel. And we just need to let that soak in a second. Our God, the good, good Father, the only King forever, the all-powerful, all-wise, everywhere, all at the same time, is initiating communication with his, with people, with us. Little old us. Let that soak in. Psalm 8, 3 and 4, when I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think of them, human beings, that you should care for them. God is initiating with mere mortals. You know, God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. He doesn't need us to be all He can be. He doesn't need us to do anything for Him. He he doesn't need us to fulfill some personal need that He has. He doesn't need us. God wants us. He wants us. And and that is his heart for us. And that is a reason to worship. Not a God who stands far off, set the world spinning, and then just sits back and watches. No, he's initiating. Second thing God is doing is God is speaking. In verse 14, Daniel said, And he said to me, And he said to me, Let that soak in. God is speaking to a mere human through this vision. He's speaking. As Daniel hears these heavenly voices, you know, we, we can see right there. We have a God who speaks to us. 
Isaiah chapter 30, verse 21. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. When you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Now, uh, we know that God is not silent. He, he, he does not sleep. Most likely it's true that everyone in here has never heard the audible voice of God. Very likely that that's, that's the case. But it's also very likely the case that all of us could say that we've heard God speak to us. What's going on there? God is speaking. Now, he often speaks through his word as we read and pray through it. I, mean, I think that's probably happened to, to uh, all believers. Um, sometimes he speaks through other believers in conversation or through preaching. Or, uh, but he speaks. And in our spirit, we know we've heard from him. Third thing God is doing is God is painting. He's painting. It's frustrating as it can be to try and read through these visions. Uh, we would do well to kind of stop and go, you know what? This is a pretty creative picture that God is painting. He, God is a creator. And he's showing his creativity here as he's describing these events to Daniel. And if we, if we work at it as we read through there, we can picture a ram with two horns, one a little higher than the other. And we can picture a goat with this big old horn coming. And then, bam, you know, we can just see all that happening, conquering, you know, growing in strength, all this stuff. God is painting that picture. You know, in school, you can take classes called Art Appreciation which are a lot of the butt of my jokes. You know, get an easy A, take art appreciation. But it's really hard to appreciate art. Just try reading apocalyptic prophecy. And, you know, but what are we trying to do? We're trying to, to see the skill and we're trying to appreciate the creativity and the talent of the artist. You know, when the sun rises and the sun sets, every time that happens, God paints a picture for us to know him better. And, and how often is the sun rising and the sun setting? All the time. Somewhere in the world it's going up and it's going down. And every one of those is an opportunity to see God paint uh, someplace in the world. Ephesians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are God's masterpiece. We are his workmanship. He created us. He put us together. And we're called the masterpiece. So all the stuff that we appreciate, you know, we're a little better than all that stuff. This is amazing. I mean, we're fearfully and wonderfully made, as Psalm 139 says. God is an artist. Another reason to worship him. Fourth, God is knowing. Daniel's getting specific details about future events that are going to happen to his people. So God sees it all and God knows it all. And that's a reason to worship right there. God is already in tomorrow. He's already in the next day. He's outside of time. Psalm 139 verses 1 to 6 says, O Lord, you have examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. Our God knows. He knows. And that's a truth that brings us hope and it brings us peace and should cause us to worship. 
The fifth thing, God is shepherding. He's caring for his people with this vision, preparing them for what's going to happen. It's for this future time of great trial. And knowing what what will happen to them and knowing what's going to happen at the end of it is a source of hope. You know, it's not. this is not going to be your life forever. I know it looks like everything is falling apart. But at the end of it, joy is going to come. It's going to be set right. And there's hope in that. God is caring for his people. 1 Peter 5, 7. Give all your worries and cares to God. Because he cares for you. Sure causes my heart to want to worship him. When I read that verse, God loves me. God cares for me. And he cares for you too. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Nothing can take us out of his, his hand. So we want to let this vision help us worship while we wait for God to come. He's initiating. He's speaking. He's painting. He's knowing and he's caring. He's not too busy. He's not too busy for what's going on in your life. He's not too busy with world events. He knows, he cares, he's in control, providing us what we need every single day to live God strong. So worship while you wait. For Daniel, this vision that he just saw was about future events down the road, years down the road. Now some of them he was going to experience as the Babylon, as Babylon gets overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. Uh, but the Greeks don't show up on his historical timeline for 200 years in the future from Daniel and the little horn doesn't show up for 200 more years after that so 400 years in the future and so Daniel's seeing this vision and he's got questions and so God sends him a messenger to help him understand what he is seeing and what he is told will help us watch while we wait so let's read the interpretation of the vision verse 15 to 26 when I Daniel had seen the vision I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Eli, and it called, and it called, Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. So he came near where I stood. And when I came, I was frightened and fell on my face. But, at, but he said to me, understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground, but he touched me and made me stand up. He said, "Behold, I will make known to you what will what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. As for the ram that you saw with the two horns, these are the kings of Media and Persia, and the goat is the king of Greece, and the great horn between his eyes is the first king." As for the horn that was broken, in place of which four others arose, four kingdoms shall arise from his nation, but not with his power. And at, that, at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors, transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands riddles, shall arise. His power shall be great, but not by his own power. And he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does and destroy mighty men and the people who are the saints. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand and in his own mind, he shall become great. Without warning, he shall destroy many and he shall even arise up against the prince of princes and he shall be broken, but by no human hand. The vision of the evenings and the mornings that has been told is true, but seal up the vision for it refers to many days from now. 
So Daniel sees uh, one that has the appearance of a man sort of hovering over the, ca- the canal of Eli. Um, so he's between the banks. He's up there in the, in the air. And he, he speaks to Gabriel, telling him, go to Daniel, explain to him what he's just seen. And so Daniel's hearing another heavenly conversation between Jesus and his chief messenger, Gabriel, who does a lot of messaging in the Bible. Daniel falls to the ground in fear at the sight of him as he comes near to him, which is a common reaction for people who come close to people who have been close to God. They fall to the ground in fear. Gabriel says, let me explain to you uh, what you saw. This is about the time of the end. Now, when we hear that, we want to be careful not to just assume he's talking about the second coming of Christ in the time of, you know, our end. Okay, and most likely what he's referring to is the end of the persecution of the Jews by this little horn. So Gabriel points out that the ram is the Medes and the Persians and the goat is Greece, which makes that big little, or that big conspicuous horn Alexander the Great, the first king. And he's actually just a footnote in this vision, isn't he? I mean, Alexander the Great was pretty great. I mean, what he did was pretty amazing, uh, pretty awful, but, you know, he's pretty incredible. But here, just a footnote. You know, he, he just, you know, just a little something that happens. When he dies, four generals take over his place, uh, four horns, and then uh, they are over four regions in the kingdom, and one of those regions is the kingdom of Seleucid. Okay? Now, that little horn, that's a guy named Antiochus IV, Epiph- Epiphanes. Epiphanes. Help me out, Jennifer. Epiphanes. Epiphanes. Thank you. I've been trying to get that right since Wednesday. <laughs> Epiphanes. Thank you. Epiphanies. Epiphanies. So he took over the throne by force and began to enlarge his kingdom through military conquests. Um, he was a tyrant who wanted to unify his kingdom uh, by making everybody adopt Greek culture and Greek religion. So that put him at odds with the Jewish faith. And he began to attack the Jewish faith. He banned circumcision. He ended temple sacrifices in Jerusalem. He defiled God's altar by burning pig's flesh on it and brought a sacred object of Zeus into the Holy of Holies. So he is all out after the Jews. He burned copies of the scriptures and he killed anybody that was faithful to God. Antiochus thought of himself as a representative of the gods on earth. And so when he uh, had money printed, put his picture on there with the phrase, God manifest, which is what Epiphanes means God manifest. That was his nickname. Now, in him, we can see a picture of the Antichrist. Um, he, he is there persecuting God's people, he's desecrating God's temple, and he's competing with God for the worship of people. Was Antiochus the Antichrist? Yes. And he's also an example of other Antichrists that would come in the future, all throughout history. That word Antichrist, it shows up in one book of the Bible, and that's 1 John. So let's go there and see what John has to say about Antichrist. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an Antichrist. So John seems to say that there are more than one Antichrist. And he says also in 1 John 4, verse 3, But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed 
is already here. So as we're reading about this little horn in Daniel and we see what he does and we can read about the beast in Revelation 13 and 14 and we sort of connect what he does and we're seeing some some similarities. Um, you know, we're seeing this is an antichrist. This is the spirit of antichrist. But we want to be careful not to just tag one person as the antichrist and say, there he is. He, you know, that's, that's the one. He's going to bring it all down. And be careful not to do that. What we know for sure about the Antichrist is they will keep coming until Jesus comes. They will keep coming against God and his people. And so we need to be able to keep watch while we wait. Now the problem with waiting, problem with trying to watch, is what happens to Daniel. When that guy started speaking to him, what happened? He fell asleep. We fall asleep while we're trying to stay awake. You know, ever, ever tried to... Stay awake when you're driving in the middle of the night or, you know, for whatever reason, you're trying to stay awake. What happens? You fall asleep. Same thing happens if you try to sleep. You stay awake. <laughs> That's another story, though. Daniel, I love what the angel does. Gabriel says, hey, just stand up, Daniel. Stay awake. Watch. Be watchful here. So the details of this vision should make us watch with confidence. In verse 26, Gabriel said, the vision of these days is true. I mean, that's like a statement, isn't it? This is happening down the road for Daniel. The vision of this statement is true. It's going to happen. You can count on it. Now, if you think about what we've read, what we're listening to, it is absolutely amazing, isn't it? I mean, it's amazing. Daniel's getting information, names, and he's getting dates about stuff that's going to happen 400 years later. Uh, Specific acts that are going to happen against his people. He gets a specific time for how long it was going to last. 2,300 evenings and mornings. Uh, So 2,300 days. That's a lot more specific than the last vision, right? Daniel chapter 7, time, times, and half a time. So we're, we're talking about something more specific. So last week I'm like, hey, stay away from your calendars. You know, trying to figure out where that is at in the future. Time, times, and half a time. Stay away from that stuff. That just distracts you from what you need to do. But here I want to tell you to run to your calendar. Run to your calendar because why? We're looking back in time. We're looking back to see when was this 2300 days. And actually you can... Uh, Get some different interpretations about this 2300 days. Is it symbolic or, you know, is it actual days or was evening and morning actually the sacrifice thing? So it's half that. So there's some different interpretations. And I just went after it um, in, in the sense that it's, it's 2300 days, maybe not exactly 2300, but it's days we're talking about. And you can see when the end, everyone agrees about when the end of this 20, 2300 days is. And that's December 14th, 165 BC. That was when Judas Maccabees entered the the temple and he restored God's temple back to its original glory. He started the sacrifices again in the temple. So that's, everyone agrees on that. So when you look backwards, 2300 days from 165 BC, you get to 171 BC, and there's really not a whole lot in our history books about 171 BC. I didn't, I just took somebody's word for that. I didn't go read about 171 BC. I just, somebody, it's not a lot there. But one thing that did happen was Antiochus murdered the high priest that was in the temple. And he did that because of a bribe. Another guy wanted the job. And that kind of marked the beginning of the persecution of the Jews as he began to ramp up 
his persecution against them. So anyway, you look back and you see how God's word was accomplished. That builds confidence in his word, that it it can be trusted. And you take that same confidence looking back when you look forward. And you know this is true. It's going to happen in the future. We can count on it. So we need to have confidence while we watch. We also want to watch with humility. With humility. Remember what Daniel was known for, what his reputation was. You know, he was like this master dream interpreter. You know, he had the supernatural ability to explain riddles and, and he could read the handwriting on the wall. He did what nobody else in the kingdom could do, right? Well, in Daniel chapter 7, in Daniel chapter 8, Daniel is stumped. He's stumped. He's got questions. He can't understand it. And so there's something there that he can figure out, but other things he can't figure out. Now, if Daniel's having trouble with prophecy, I think we're going to have trouble with it too. Even after he gets an explanation, he's scratching his head. So all we got to do is we got to be careful to leave room that our best interpretations of what is literal and what is symbolic may be wrong or partially right. Okay? Just need that. So we got to watch with confidence because God's word can be trusted. It's going to happen. It's going to be accomplished in the future. And we need to watch with humility and be careful of following people that say, look, this is exactly how it's going to go down. We just have to be careful of that. Watch with humility, watch with confidence. Last verse, verse 27. Inspires our last instruction to wait the God's strong way. Work while you wait. And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business. But I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. So Daniel, he is overcome with grief by what he sees. And he has this empathetic illness that comes on him that lays him out for for a couple of days. Um, he is feeling the pain of his people in the future. It is like he's watching somebody drive their car toward a cliff and he can't do anything to stop them. They're going to go over it. So after he gets to feeling better, he gets up and then he gets busy. He goes about the king's business. He goes about the king's business. He's got responsibilities to King Belshazzar. But now he's carrying this burden. This burden for his people in the future. And he's also carrying questions. The why question. That question we all carry around about life. Why did it happen this way? So while we wait, we want to be about the king's business. We want to be about the king's business. Now, there's generally, generally there's work to do. And then specifically, there's specific work to do. Generally, we all have the call to love God and love each other. Love our neighbor. Uh, there's work to do in growing the kingdom of God in our hearts and in through the church. There's work to do there. There's work to do showing others the love of Jesus. Living out this good Samaritan lifestyle. There's work to do on our knees in prayer. And there's work to do in our homes through hospitality. Generally, we're all called to these things. And Jesus has given us this lifestyle of love to live out in the open for other people to see. We're his witnesses that he is real. We're his voice, his hands, his feet. We are his presence in people's lives that don't know him when we show up there. So there's a general work to do. I'm sure there's more, but um, be busy about that. Make your life about that stuff. And then there's also specific work for you to do personally. Personally, God has given you specific work to do. Just look at your life and you'll find out what it is. Do you still have kids living under your roof? 
then you've got a specific work to do. The king has given you his business to raise those kids in the training and instruction of the Lord. High priority in your life if you are a parent. Do you have a person at work or school who doesn't know Jesus and you have a good relationship with them? Guess what? The king has given you some specific work to do to share your faith in him with them and maybe get them to a place of believing in Jesus. He's put you right there to do that. Do you have somebody in your life that you need to forgive? Somebody that, you know, you're just struggling to let go of something they did to you and, um, you know, it's just... You're just holding them in a prison. You want to set them free before you see him face to face. Because really you're the one that's in the prison. So is there somebody to forgive? That's specific work for you to do. Are you married? Are you married? If you're married, um, the king wants you to build a marriage that expresses selfless love. The kind that he has for his church. And it's a picture of the gospel. That's specific work that he's given you to do because he gave you a spouse. Are you single? We got a few single people here. Singleness is a gift. It's a gift. It doesn't make you weird. You know what the king wants from you? He wants you to devote your entire life to him. He wants you to be about the king's business. So be about the king's business and let him send the spouse. Don't worry about that. Just be about his business. Just look at your life. Look at your life and you'll find exactly what God's will is for you to do. Lines up with with his word, points you in the right direction. And I promise you this, I promise you this. If he wants you to do something else, he'll tell you. All right, you don't have to worry about that. So be about the king's business. Richard Halverson was the former pastor of Fourth Presbyterian Church in Bethesda, Maryland. He was also the former chaplain of the U.S. Senate. And following his services, he used to use this benediction for many years in his ministry. He would say, wherever you go, God is sending you. Wherever you are, God has put you there. God has a purpose in your being right where you are. Christ, who indwells you by the power of his spirit, wants to do something in and through you. Believe this and go in his grace, his love, his power in the name of the Father, Son. And Holy Spirit, not a bad thing to remember as we wait for the King. Let's celebrate the Lord's Supper together before we go. We're starting July and we do this at the beginning of every month, just like he told us to do. Um, You don't have to be a member of Living Streams to participate in the Lord's Supper, but you do need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So if there's never been a time in your, in your life where, you know, you said, I believe in Jesus and you ask for forgiveness for your sins and ask him to come into your life and say, hey, you need to take over. If you've never done that before, don't come up and have communion, but come up and talk to me today before you leave. And we will talk to him about you following him. So we invite you, believer, to come up here and to share in uh, this time of prayer with the Lord. Uh, together we take some elements, some bread and some juice uh, that remind us of the broken body of the Lord and the blood that was spilt that provides the forgiveness of our sins. When you're up here, spend a little time in prayer, um, you know, just praising God for who he is and thanking him for his wonderful word that helps us watch and asking him about his business. What's his business in your life? And when you're ready, just glance up to the elders and they'll serve you the elements. And if you have trouble kneeling, you certainly can use the the front row and they, they will serve you there. Let's pray.
For this is what the Lord himself has said about his table. And I've passed it on to you before, that on the night when Judas betrayed him, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks to God for it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take this and eat it. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new agreement between God and you that has been established and set in motion by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me whenever you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the message of the Lord's death, that he has died for you. Do this until he comes again. Heavenly Father, as we come to your table today to remember what Jesus has done for us, we come with grateful hearts, thankful for um, your presence in our lives, your mercy and grace um, that Jesus opened up um, the way for us to have. And we would pray as we're up here together um, in your presence that we would sense that and that you would uh, continue to make us the new creatures that you're creating us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.